And good morning to you, Grace. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, our scripture reading today is out of the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We are in Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. 1 through 8. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the Muppets sometimes. You know, that's <laughs> all right. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and internal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, for, for who have experienced the good things of heaven and, and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up in public shame. When, we ground soaks up, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for a new day to be able to worship you, to honor you in our actions and thoughts and deeds, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would bless our service we have ahead of us here, Lord. I ask that you would help us to focus on what you would have for our hearts to learn. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just leave here after hearing your words and let them fall useless to the floor, Lord. I pray that we would use them. Lord, I pray that we would apply our lives, we would, uh, we would be honest with ourselves, and we would hear from the Holy Spirit and we would allow you to move in our life uh, and change things about us and Lord and to, and to use us through this. And Lord, I thank you for each and every one of our ministries we have going on today and this week and, and all the, the things that we are attempting to do in, in honoring you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them, you would make them uh, edifying to your people, you would bless the fellowship that is a part of it, Lord, and you would strengthen this community for it. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of us here, and I thank you for the hearts uh, that have taken the time uh, to do work for you this week, Lord. And Lord, I just pray again that you would bless the service ahead of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is with great joy that this morning to read for you something I just most uh, just received. It's a great, great encouragement. I will not give to you the individual artist's name, but I trust it will bring you encouragement as it did me as I read it this morning. 
says, my beloved place is a place of worship. It is a place like school. And not to learn your ABCs or one, two, threes, but to learn about the creator of all things. A structure where people flock to on Sunday and the word of God can be heard. As I saunter down the sidewalk with a fresh personality and outfit, I see familiar faces from Sunday's past. They are waiting patiently for the sermon to begin, maybe. What did you hear? Did, did you hear that? A wisp, quiet voice of Jesus passes over. Then the chit-chattering of people begins again. The aroma of the dark black ink flows from pens on the paper, which is priceless information. I taste the clean and organized words from God flowing out of the past, flowing off the pastor's tongue. The material of the pew is as much as an oak board fresh from the sawmill. Also, I gently feel the truest book of all, the Bible. Therefore, you, you now know one of my beloved places to be, a place of greeting, worship, and confession. Something to remember is Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Be strong and courageous. When in doubt, remember that verse because it will get you through all things. That was sent to me by a mother of a child who wrote that as an essay for school. What a blessing it was for me to read it. And I thank the mother for thinking of me to send it to me so I could read it too. I was encouraged. Our journey this morning is not going to be easy because we are going to deal with a passage of scripture that in history's past and even in present time has been adjusted, maybe has been refashioned, if you will, to support a thought, to support an area that I'm afraid the passage doesn't speak to. Now, that does not make me an authority. I obviously do come to this passage with a different mindset than what we will see. But I also come to this passage with an openness and also a consideration that I very well could be wrong. But I don't believe I am. I don't say that pridefully or boastfully. I say that based upon the other texts of Scripture. And so before we begin our journey, I began to ask myself some questions. Questions about why. What would, why would individuals, knowing the Christian faith, why is it that they would wane from spiritual maturity? 
Maybe we need to first give a definition of what spiritual maturity is. And I believe the apostle who wrote the text of Hebrews has already given that to us in the previous verses of chapter 5. It's going beyond being satisfied with the milk of the word. It's, It's about going deeper into where you're getting prime rib. You remember that from last week. It's about feasting upon the word, chewing it. And then swallowing it. It's the application of what you've heard. It's the application of what you've read. That produces in us what is called spiritual maturity. But that didn't answer my question. My question is still this morning. Why? Why do Christians at least, biblical proof of what a Christian is... Why does a Christian not desire to mature in Christ? What would lead them to fall away? Now, now you have to understand, too, that this is a warning passage. It's the third warning passage that we're going to be introduced today. The first one is in chapter 2, where the writer of Hebrews says, Be careful not to drift away from the faith. Drifting away aimlessly, if you will, in an ocean of confusion. The the writer of Hebrews says, be careful. Don't, Don't engage in that. The second warning he gives is in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. goes over into chapter 4 up to verse 13, where he says, do not create a hardness of heart. And he illustrates that by the fact that that's what the children of Israel did before they got into the promised land, where they said, we will not go in. Which led to their wandering, if you will, for a period of 40 years. They developed a hardness of heart, a stiffness of neck, a refusal, if you will, to follow after the things of Jesus Christ. Now we come to this third warning. Chapter 6, verse 1. Do not forsake maturing in Christ. Don't settle for anything less. That's our task this morning. That's our task. And we're about to enter into verses 4 to 8. Even something, a briar brush, if you will, that can tear us up if we're not careful to compare it to other scriptures. We need to pray again. God, your word is that precious. It is that life-changing. Your word equips us Your word protects us. Your word instructs us. Your word guides us. We need guidance this morning, God. We need to virtually fall on our knees before you and to recognize of whose presence we are in. 
We need your movement of your Holy Spirit upon us, whereby he teaches us all things and brings all things to our remembrance, whatsoever you've told us. It's your Holy Spirit that even convicts us of sin. So, Lord, we, I ask, I humbly ask, that you would do a work in my life as we pronounce these words so that you will do a work in all of our lives. Guide us, O oh Lord God, we pray, and let your word speak to our hearts, and I'll praise you and thank you in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You might remember our series we've entitled, Is Jesus Christ Worth Following? And we're developing that because that, quite frankly, is the theme of the book of Hebrews. If Jesus Christ is worth following, then you won't drift if Jesus Christ is worth following, then you won't create a hard heart. If Jesus Christ is worth following, then you'll be willing to grow to maturity in Christ. Notice, if you will, four three things that I feel hinders maturing growth in a believer person. First one is this. It would appear that Christians who do not desire to mature in Christ have a warped, a warped sense of the Christian faith. They, if you will, believe that nothing contrary to, to flowing of milk and honey should come into their lives. And, and when trials and tribulations come, they unfortunately throw up their hands and say, what's the use? If following Jesus Christ has with it all of these problems, then I just assume not go any further than what I have. The second reason that I've come across in my studies is this, is that, uh, is that the issue of what is influencing our lives? What is it that's influencing our lives? And especially, does it contradict the scriptures? In other words, what am I saying? What is being said by some more popular TV evangelists, authors, singers, celebrities, seems to be more important than what the Word of God has to say. We have a tendency to go to their wise wisdom words and think that what they say is more important than what the Word of God has to say. You've heard the phrase before, the name it and claim it crew. The ones, if, if you will, and... And I, and I do call them, and I have to be careful, I believe they're charlatans. Because they promise you things that the word of God doesn't. 
They take passages and twist them in order to capture the hearts and lives of their listeners. They, they promise you that if you, if you give money to God, blessings will come your way. But I, but I always struggle that they give you their address, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I think the third reason, too, that the, the Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, said in verse 4, where he says that individuals have crept into the church. And it says this, they've turned the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. It's the ones that, in other words, false teaching and doctrine can and will cause Christians to forsake the oracles of God's word. It goes something like this. We, we wrestle with this in our minds. Go ahead and do that, which is contrary to the word of God, because in the long term, God's going to forgive you anyway. It's a permission slip, if you will. Something that we used to have to have in school in order to go from one class to another, if you were caught in the hall without a permission slip, your next des destination was the principal's office. And we have a permission slip. God will forgive me, and I love it when they quote 1 John 1, 9. If, if we confess our sins, the problem is, is they never do confess their sins. <laughs> if we confess. With those three issues, I find them evident in the book of Hebrews. It's not a, a past historical thing, that only these things happened in the past. They're happening today in the church. And the apostle in verse 1 of chapter 6 says these things. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. That's the warning. Go on to maturity. So this morning, let's investigate what he means. In one sense... Chapter 6, 1 to 8 is a continuation of chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. And I say that because there's that first word in verse 1, therefore. Of course, every biblical scholar that are sitting here this morning understands the fact that what is that therefore? It's therefore a purpose. And the purpose is, if you look at the 11 to 14 of chapter 5, you'll recognize the situation. We want milk. We want, to be, we want to be coddled. We want to be tickled. We want to be at ease. Make us feel good. 
make us something we don't want to be. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, when you mature, you eat meat. Meat is a process, isn't it? I cut my steak big because I want that medium rare steak. I want to wrestle with that in my mouth. I want the taste of it. I want the the senses that it brings. Oh, that's good. And the rest of my body, whoa, I want that too. I guess I'm starting to talk like Pennsylvania Dutch. I said, too. (laughs) Meat. You got to chew on it. Then you... then you got to swallow it. And then you got to sit back and say, wow, wasn't that good? I don't go to a restaurant to feel good. I want to eat. I want to eat. It's okay to come to church to be encouraged to hopefully walk away with just a nugget of God's word that's going to change or make a change in our lives. But you don't come to church that we can pat you on the back and send you to hell. No. We come to eat the word of God so that our bodies go, I like that. To grow to maturity. There are three categories that the author of Hebrews starts in chapter 6. From verses 1 down to verse 3, he lists the different, if you will, or the categories of the elementary truth of Scripture. And he highlights that this is something that we should be getting beyond. Then in verse 3 he says, and we'll discuss it more if God permits. But I think it would do as well if we discuss a little bit of it here and now. The three categories go something like this. The first is a category of conversion. A category of conversion where it says... In verse 1, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God. Conversion. Now, before we get too ruffled up, let me just discuss with you that word that I believe has been misrepresented in some situations. It's the word repentance. Repentance. The word repentance literally means, in its Greek formula, it means to change your direction. But it also carries with it the understanding that in order to change your direction, you have to change your mind. 
In other words, as Jesus would even say that in the Gospels, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What he is saying there literally is this, is that the direction that you're going, the things that you're thinking about, if you feel that's going to improve your life or give you salvation in God, Jesus is saying, turn from that. That's not the way to go. The writer of Hebrews includes repentance from dead works. But what are they? What are these dead works? It's an ambiguous phrase that could mean a couple of things. It could characterize or mean deeds of the flesh. Or even it can even characterize those who are spiritually dead. Or they could refer to useless dead works of self-righteousness that can never bring salvation. The writer of Hebrews is saying, this is elementary. This is a foundational truth. This is where it all begins. In other words, what you were once banking on giving you eternal life, he says, turn away from that because it's only about faith in God. Did you catch it? Faith in God. It's the truth that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby anyone can be saved. And that name is Jesus, who is the Christ. That is, man's futile attempt at salvation is nothing more than futile. We're called to turn from those ways, which is the understanding of the word repent and be saved by faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man could boast. That's foundational. That's where it all begins. And this teaching is essential foundation for the Christian life. But it's just the beginning. Because those who quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, wonderful, forget verse 10 that goes with it. Which says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he has determined that we should walk in them. Too many of us don't want to walk. We're satisfied. We're just staying here at the foundation. The writer of Hebrews says, that's only the beginning. The second, if you will, the second group or the second category is this. Church practices and procedures. What in the world? What do you mean? Well, look at the phrase. It says in verse 2, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands. Well, what are we talking about here? You may have a translation that Pastor Steve has, 
which, which nails it. It's the belief of baptism. The belief of baptism. Do you know how many discussion points there are on this issue of baptism? Do we go once down backwards, three times forward? Can we splash? Can we have a rubber ducky back there? That's foundational. I'm about ready to destroy some of your theology this morning. It's this. Baptism has nothing to do for your salvation. If that's the case, then the thief on the cross should be in hell. But Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But baptism has everything to do as a witness of your salvation. Doesn't get you saved. Doesn't keep you saved. It declares that you are saved. That's what it's all about. And then this laying on of hands thing. What in the world is this? It's just foundational. You go to the book of Acts... And, in, and specifically when you come to uh, chapter 6, they laid hands on those who were about to go out and do ministry. It's a proof, it's a sign, if you will, of a church granting authority to an individual to represent Jesus Christ and the gospel wherever they are. It was also used as a point of dedication, if you will, of church leaders. That's foundational. Then the last one. Notice what it is. Prophecy. The resurrection, it says, of the dead and eternal punishment. Now, why would the writer of Hebrews include that? Well, let me tell you, he's not telling us the events of the great tribulation. He's not giving to us the characteristics of the one world ruler, the antichrist. He's giving to us what the church at Thessalonica had a problem with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They wondered if, if Jesus would come right now, what happens to those who are dead? Those who have trusted Christ and they're dead. And the Apostle Paul directs their answer to the fact that they will be raised first. They've got six more feet to go. Oh, I thought that would be something. That you... They got six feet to catch up to us. They go first, and then we who are alive and remain would be caught up to, with them to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. That's foundational. That's a biblical truth that we should not even be ashamed of declaring. And then, obviously, 
eternal judgment. The Apostle Paul used that in the presentation. He tied that in when he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what's the author's point of view here? What is he getting at? Well, if we're getting hung up on basic experiences, practices, and doctrines related to the foundation of the Christian faith, we're not going to graduate to higher levels of spiritual maturity. We need to move beyond the basics to press on to maturity Verse 1, the author is hopeful that with God's help, they will press on. Verse 3, it's interesting though that the phrase, if God permits, we need to understand that that reminds us that even our spiritual growth is dependent upon the power and presence of of God, if God permits. So, verses four to eight. You don't know how I prayed for the rapture to happen last night, but we need to direct our thoughts to this particular passage that in many ways boils down to two main thoughts. First thought is this. The people referred to in this passage were once saved, but they lost their salvation. It's a key passage that individuals that believe that come to. The second, if you will, area is that people referred to in this passage appear to be saved, but they're actually not. So what do we do? How do we answer them? Let's take each one of these separately. First of all, if the first position is correct, then after abandoning their faith, there would be no way that person could ever be saved again. Because verse 6 says it's impossible. Doesn't say it's difficult. Doesn't say it's rare. No, it is impossible. If This passage is speaking of, verses 4 to 8, if it is speaking of an issue that has, in my opinion, has shackled individuals into thinking that they can lose their salvation, then my question to them is, if you fall away in sin, quote, lose your salvation, can you be saved again? And individuals that I've had conversations with this always say, Yes, you can get resaved. And I say, but that's not what the text says. It says it's impossible. But yet, this particular passage, that reasoning 
contradicts what other passages of the scriptures have to say. Dear people, when you're feasting on the word, make sure you compare scripture to scripture. As much as I revere Dr. Tony Evans, he's not the authority. As much as I enjoy reading theologians, they are not the authority. The authority is the word of God. So let me have you turn to a couple of places. 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 13. The Lord would want you to see this for yourself. If this particular passage is speaking of losing your salvation, then 1 John 5, 11 through 13 is a lie. 1 John 5, 11 to 13 says these words. And this is the testimony. Whoa, 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 whoa. What testimony? Well, it's God's testimony. In other words, what God is about to say, you can take that to the bank and it won't go bankrupt. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son, verse 12, has life. Amen? I don't know. He who has the Son has life. Amen? Amen. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13. These things... John is saying, these things are written unto you that you may, what, everybody? Believe. And know that you have eternal life. There's no wishy-washy here. There's no buts or ifs. It is a declaration. This is God's testimony. Another passage. Turn to John chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. Verses 27. The 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them what everybody eternal life and they will what everybody never perish no one will snatch them from my hand 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. This passage in Hebrews cannot mean you can lose your salvation. Because God has determined it that you can't. If you trust him. You can't. Well now we have to deal with the other issue. Well, maybe these people really weren't saved in the first place. And maybe they were. They knew the vernacular. They just didn't know the one whom the vernacular spoke to. Well. Let's go back and take a look. At the phrases. In Hebrews chapter 6. Notice what it says. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the heavenly in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's word and the powers of the coming age. Those are all phrases that refer to the Christian life. Well, well, Pastor Women, they just tasted. They didn't really eat it and swallow it. Okay, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 9 of Hebrews. But we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone. Did Jesus shortchange us? No. Same word here as it is over here. Okay, another word. Let's look at it again. Those who were enlightened. Go to chapter 10, Hebrews, verse 32. Chapter 10, verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings it's a reference to saved there's no ambiguity I can't say that word all of those that are English majors I'm sorry There ain't no chance that these thoughts, that these words don't mean what they mean. He's not talking about individuals who only 
act like they're saved. No, these are individuals who have tasted, who have been enlightened. So what is the thrust of this passage? What is he getting at? Now we need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. Beginning in verse ten. According to God's grace. That was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. What's the foundation? We just saw that in Hebrews chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says, I laid that foundation. I'm not saying the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There's pretty good evidence that maybe he did, but... That's for another discussion in the next millennial. But he says, but, notice, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, Wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that has been built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Is the Apostle Paul writing to believers who really aren't believers? No. Now, Pastor, how are you going to tie this in, 1 Corinthians 3, with Hebrews 6? I'm glad you asked. Go back to Hebrews 6, verse 7 and 8. Notice, notice, notice as we quickly close out here. What are we talking about? It says, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and that produces vegetation useful to those whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. Gold, silver, precious stones. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless 
and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Wood, hay, stubble. What are we talking about? The writer of Hebrews is warning us, don't forsake growing in Christ Jesus, because there can come a time where you will lose everything except your salvation, and you'll have nothing to place at the feet of Jesus. And don't forsake that. Don't go back to a life that you thought was more palatable to you, that was easier for you to live, that didn't have all of the, if you will, entanglements of righteousness. Just let me do what I want to do. And if you fall back to that, I'm here to tell you this morning, God may very well say, if that's what you want, then that's what you can have, and you will never be able to turn from it, and I will meet you at the judgment seat of Christ, and it's all going to burn. And you'll have nothing. Is that what you want, Hebrews? Is really that what you want? Or wouldn't you really rather show up at the judgment seat of Christ and have gold, silver, precious stones that will stand the testifier. And that's what we present at the feet of the one who saved us. You see, so much of us forget what God has saved us for. We understand what he has saved us from, but we forget what he has saved us for. He has saved us for the purpose of glorifying him. That's what Hebrews 6 is talking about. As hard as that may be able for you to listen to this morning, next week, Lord willing, the Apostle Paul, sorry, the writer of Hebrews goes on to give encouragement for he says, but I'm convinced that that's not where you're going. Are you convinced that that's not where you're going? Oh, and if you don't know the Savior, you're missing out on a great ride. Oh, it's not going to be easy, but it'll be blessed. It's not going to be easy because we're not home yet. But the closer you get to the city, your destination, the bigger the signs become. And I'm seeing some big signs right now. And I can't wait to pull off into the exit into the realm that's called welcome home, children. Let's pray. God, your word is that precious that it causes us 
to hunger for more. Oh, Lord, may we never be satisfied where we are. But desire to journey where you want us to be. That is our call. That is what we are to do, for we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, that you have already determined that we need to walk in them. Oh, Lord God, may we walk worthy. In these days, oh, Lord God, that are upon us right now, we almost seem like the world is falling apart. It isn't. You're still in control. Oh, the evidence of things may become dark, but we have the light. And now is the time for the church. Now is the time for the church to walk. Walk worthy of the kingdom of our great God. So, Lord... I pray your hand a blessing upon these wonderful people this day and this week. Encourage them. Let them know that you're there. May they also, O oh Lord God, grow in your grace. And we'll thank you and praise you in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.